Welcome to Willow Park Church Online. We're so glad that you've joined us. I know that people are joining us from right the way around the city of Kelowna, across British Columbia, and also abroad. We have people from Australia, from the UK, uh, from Africa, who join us online and love to engage in the worship and the service and the sermons. Well, uh, this is kickoff weekend and all of our small dwell groups are gathering at their different locations. You're gathering online. It's a little bit different, isn't it? Usually uh, this weekend we're at Green Bay Bible Camp. We're baptizing 30 or 40 people. We're celebrating. We're eating food together. We're playing games. I love kickoff. And here we are kicking off. September in this way. And what a kickoff it has been for so many of you. I know that this last week, children have gone back to school and there's some nervousness about that. I know that this last week, there's a big adjustment in homes and our families because of the change. And at the same time, the media are talking about a second wave. Well, let me tell you at the beginning of here at kickoff at Willow Park Church, we are here, the church is alive, and Jesus is Lord. Do never doubt the reality that Jesus is Lord, and he is Lord of your life. So as we begin this kickoff service, and begin this new series called Hidden, where we explore what it is to have a deep, dynamic, hidden life with Christ, where we are growing and maturing in Jesus. And how he teaches us such great lessons about humility, about how we gather through times of hardship, how God shapes our character in the hidden place and develops us to go deeper and closer to Christ in such a fantastic, dynamic way. So welcome and let me pray. Father, thank you that we are gathering online right now on this kickoff weekend. And we pray blessing on every person watching that, Lord, you will be with them. You will encourage them, that you will fill their homes with your presence and your spirit, that they will be aware of your goodness in their lives. That where there may be anxiety and fear, that peace will come. We pray for protection over every home and ask, Lord, for your blessing to be on those people who are watching today. May they be encouraged and may their lives be enriched all by the goodness of God. And as we step into worship now, we pray, Lord, that you will speak to us through the worship in Jesus name. Amen. I'm going to hand over now to Sarah and Luke, and they're going to lead you in a beautiful time of worship. Welcome to Kickoff Weekend. Hello, Willapart Church. We're uh, glad to have you join us today. We're going to do some worship together. I'm going to start with This is Amazing Grace. We're joking that this is a new song. It's not a new song. We are going to enjoy every minute of it, though, because declaring God's grace, his unfailing love, his uh, death and resurrection in our place. So we want to be able to really uh, praise God and enjoy him. Let's do that together.
He's the king who conquered the grave, and he is worthy. Let's sing worthy. faithful. He is glorious. He is Jesus. All my hope is in him. He is freedom. He is healing. He is hope and joy and love and peace and life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our faithful God. We thank you that you are a glorious God, that you are far above us, that no matter what problems and difficulties and valleys we go through, that you are the one who is able to rescue us because you are so glorious. Thank you that we place all of our hope in you. Lord, I pray right now that those who are needing that touch from you, who are needing freedom, freedom from mental health issues, freedom from disease, freedom from financial strife, Lord, I pray that you would meet them right where their need is. Pray that you would give them freedom in that in that circumstance. Pray for those, Lord, who need healing. I know so many who need a touch from you. And you are the God who heals. You've said, I am the God who heals you. Lord, we ask for your healing, Holy Spirit, even now. We pray that you would reach out and heal people. That you would bring them freedom for your namesake, for your glory, for us to declare how great you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Joy and love and peace. 
God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life we want to celebrate that now in celebrating communion together Phil's going to lead us in that time just concentrating on God's sacrifice, his gift giving himself body and blood and then amazingly being raised from the dead father we thank you for your grace we thank you for your mercy we thank you for your victory help us now lord as we come and concentrate on you in communion to be able to celebrate that meal together amen What a great way to finish our time of worship, Jesus Messiah. That's exactly what Jesus was. He is our Messiah. Now they expected Jesus the Messiah to come, as it were, on a cloud. They expected him to ride into Jerusalem as a general, a kind of figure that was was glowing and shining like a Alexander the Great, a hero who would liberate Israel from the tyranny of the Romans. But of course, this Messiah came in a very different way. He came as a servant king. And the reason he came was not just to liberate Israel, but to liberate the world. Not just from the tyranny of the Roman Empire, but to liberate us from the tyranny of sin, the tyranny of death. And by eliminating the power of sin and death, he eliminates the power of the devil within our lives. And communion is such a key time for that. And so if you're not ready to take communion, go now and grab the emblems, gather together and just remember all that Christ has done. On the night on which the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body that is broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the bread. We bless it in the name of Jesus. And we remember that Christ gave his life for us. 
You are the bread of life. You are the one that brings life. You are the one that leads us. And so, Lord, thank you. That your body was broken so we may be healed. That you died so that we may be fully forgiven. Redeemed, restored, rescued by the love of God. The body of Christ broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of him. I remember you, Jesus. In the same manner, he took the cup and he poured it out, saying this is the blood of the new covenant. Poured out for you to take away the sins of the world. Father, we thank you for your blood, the blood of Jesus, that takes away the sins of the world. Drink it. And remember. What a blessing. To be able to worship together. To break bread together. And to remember. Now. If you're watching to get ready to hear Glenn's sermon at the South Community or here at Rutland with myself sharing. We want to encourage you and thank you for your um, willingness to engage with us online in this way. And we're so blessed. And so now here is the Willow One News and then you'll get the word of the Lord preached to you. Enjoy. Hello Willow Park Church, my name is Courtney. Whether you're joining us from church online or one of our dwell gatherings, welcome and here's your family news. We are once again raising funds for Child of Mine, which supports two children's homes in northern India. A group of runners and walkers will be doing a virtual event October 17th and this year, the funds raised will go towards post-secondary education for graduates of the homes. Learn more on the Child of Mine website at childofmine.ca slash events. Kids Church Online just got a whole lot better. We are now offering a preschool kids church video on demand, and it's available every Sunday on our website at willowparkchurch.com slash kidschurch. If you have kiddos, kindergarten age or younger, be sure to check in. Parents, you asked and we listened. Many of you were hoping for an in-person midweek program for your kids. And we are so happy to let you know that we're starting up Kids Club on Tuesday nights starting October 6th. This program is for kids in grade kindergarten to grade 5. Learn more and register online at willowparkchurch.com clubs. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service.
transformational and, uh, and really powerful. So let's pray and we're going to, uh, going to jump into the Word of God. Father, as we just quiet ourselves before you now in your presence, we're so grateful, Lord, for the worship that we've just shared with one another and with you. Lord, I'm thankful that your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. So, Lord, we we know you are here. We sense you in this place. And, Lord, I pray for everybody who is joining us online right now, Lord, wherever they might be in the watch parties or, or as individuals or people listening to it in the week, Father, or sometime in the future. Father, I pray that your word will be powerful, be life changing, transformational in the way, Lord, that you have promised the Holy Spirit, you would add your power, your anointing to this word. And Lord, I pray that we'll never be the same after hearing from it. So Lord, we just welcome you and thankful for your presence here this morning in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Welcome to everybody online. We're so glad that you are here. I've just been kind of interacting a little bit with uh, church online and I know there's watch parties gathering so welcome and and uh, I just in my mind I can visualize the Parsons uh, room filled with young adults not socially distanced of course there is Nicole tells me it's now physically distanced right Nicole is that's the right, correct term I can't keep up um, but anyway it's uh, it's good that you've joined us and we're, we're joining uh, together this morning to study a new series so normally what our our habit is, what our routine is, is that we work through books of the Bible or sections of Scripture. So we've just come out of Psalm 23 in the summer. And then we jump into more topical-based um, series, uh, although very, very still uh, expository, and uh, we just don't necessarily work through a passage. And so over the next maybe 12 weeks, we're actually going to be doing a new series that today I want, us to, I want to frame so that we understand where we're going and why we're doing what we're doing. Um, so I think it's safe to say that in our current culture, the word Christian is, is a pretty loaded term. Uh, certainly evangelical now it seems to be a political term. Certainly with our southern neighbors, it's a very political, weighted, loaded term that, that people can be very cynical about, very critical about. And and it's interesting because some things don't change. Because if you go right back into the New Testament where Christianity really started, the first mention is in Acts 11 verse 26. It says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So it wasn't actually Christians that called themselves Christians. It was people who were very critical of Christians who called them Christians. The people who followed Jesus were called disciples or what's quite common through the New Testament called the way. Uh, Christians was a derogatory term that stuck. And I feel like we've come full circle because if you say Christian in our culture, then there can be a bit of a frown, certainly some barriers, and people can be very critical. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're actually going to dig into what it means to be in Christ, disciples of Jesus. Because this word disciples is a very powerful word. It's not a word that Jesus came up with. It's an ancient word. It's a practice that was... Uh, very common, and we're going to jump into some historical stuff this morning to give you some understanding of how we fit in in 2020 in Kelowna. How do we fit in with some of these ancient practices? Literally, the word disciples can mean student, um, 
And some scholars have, uh, it's funny, the Bible scholars, I, I have, I, when I say there's some discussion or argument, in my mind I'm thinking of like a room full of Bible scholars duking it out. You know, no, I think the word means this. And no, it's student. And, it's, and they're throwing kind of theological Greek text bombs to one another and see who wins at the end. But let's just say there is some discussion, Bible scholar discussion, that I'm sure is very highbrow, around what this word disciple means. And it, and it feels like from when I've, well, my study and, and what I've looked into, that a really good word is actually apprentice. Because when I think of student, I think of high school, elementary, university students where they go and, and they learn, and it can be kind of a, a disconnected experience. Um, whereas that's not really what disciple meant. Whereas an apprentice was somebody that came alongside and learned a trade, still learns a trade. And, and I think it's a very good word. So we're going to jump into today, what does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? So let me give you some historical context of what disciples actually meant. So as I said, it's not a word that Jesus came up with for like a nickname for his group of followers. It was a very common practice and still is in parts of the world. It's an ancient practice where people would find rabbis and follow teachers or rabbis in the way that they live. So in in ancient Israel, by the age of 10, just, just let this sink in, by the age of 10, Boys, not girls, sorry ladies, boys were expected to have learned the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Now if you read the first five books of the Bible, it's hard work. Imagine memorizing them by the age of 10. Let me say that again, by the age of 10. You know, jump into Leviticus. You know, have a look at that thing. Have a look at Deuteronomy. Memorize Exodus. You know, that could be a great homeschooling practice for those of you who homeschool. Just, you know what, this year, kids, we're going to learn the Torah. Let's go. In the beginning, God. All right. That's probably about as far as (laughs) as we'd get. But that's the expectation for the average 10-year-old boy. At the age of 10, then, there was this cut. So think hockey, basketball. They're all hoping to get past into the next team. They don't make it. Uh, or they do, and they're cut. So the more elite, smarter young men at the age of 10 would be then invited to learn the rest of the Old Testament. What a great prize. You've done so well with the first five. Your prize is now you get to spend the next seven years learning the rest of the Old Testament. All of it, off by heart. The rest of you, sorry, Yabu sucks to be you. You've got to go back and work in your family business, fishing, farming, whatever it might be, construction. So there was an immediate divide. There was the smart, but not smart enough. And then there was the kind of the smarter ones. Like in Britain, I'm thinking like grammar school. You'd have to take the 11 plus. I don't know if you ever had anything like that in Canada, but they were like, oh, 11 plus. They go to the grammar schools, you know. And, uh, and, and that's the kind of feeling. So then this next group, they would learn the next five, uh, the, all the rest of the Old Testament until the age of 17. Then there's another cut. There's this in, invite for them to go and find a rabbi for them to follow, for them to become a disciple of. Now, the rabbis at that time were heroes. This is, this is something that's quite difficult for us to connect with. But these men were of the upper echelon of society. This was the best job. Think top surgeon, top lawyer, top um, politician. Well, maybe not politician, but just top 
on your job, your top of your field. This was the ultimate of the ultimate for you to be taken on as a Talmud or an apprentice of a rabbi. And these rabbis were very careful who they took on. They were really strict because their disciples, their apprentices, their Talmuds, were, they were judged by the quality of their apprentices. So if you were worthy and they believed that you could do what they do and become what they are becoming and know what they know, they would take you on as their apprentice. This, this group were the elite. They really were the elite. These pr- apprentices of rabbis. They were very uh, selective and exclusive because these were top, top jobs. To put this into a little bit of perspective, these rabbis, and this was the closest I could find to what an ancient rabbi might look like, and it's actually very similar today. These were like superheroes. So think about the type of people young people would put on the wall of their bedrooms and say, one day I want to be like them. You know, top basketball, top football, top soccer, whatever it might be, a rock star, pop star. Maybe it's an Instagram, somebody on Instagram who's got millions of followers. I want to be like them when I grow up. This was the boyhood dream for the average Hebrew young lad. I want to be like them. It was really, really powerful. And then what would happen is they would then leave mom and dad and they would go and follow. Now, This is where it gets very different from our education system. Because when I say follow, I literally mean 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. They were eating alongside, sleeping alongside, following them from town to town. They would follow the inflections of their voice. They would speak like them, learn like them, act like them, move like them, think like them. They would want to become their absolute and total mirror image. That was their goal. So that you could look at an apprentice and say, I know whose rabbi you belong to. Quite different from our education system, hey? So you're welcome, Boyd. I'm just thinking about you and your students following you around 24 hours, seven days a week. Do you fancy that? (laughs) Yes. Okay, we'll pray about that later. But that's what it was like. What's this got to do with us? Let's bring this to 2020 in Kelowna, in our Western culture. Our society is filled with rabbis offering the good life. Because that's what the rabbis in ancient Israel were doing. They were offering these apprentices, these top jobs, the good life as they saw it. And today in our culture, we have rabbis offering the good life, saying, come follow me, do what I do, speak like I speak, wear what I wear, think like I think. Even in our inflection and accents and actions, do what I do, you'll become like me. And Let me tell you with absolute honesty and truth, every one of us in this room and everyone listening, whether you're a skeptic or atheist or whether you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus, let me say every one of us, humanly speaking, follows someone or something. We're all disciples of something. It's not if, it's what or who. We all have this picture of the good life that we want to attain And so we follow a certain direction as disciples in order to get that good life. 
Now, in our culture, in our kind of hyper-individual, so that, you know, I don't need anybody, I have everything I need inside me, this hyper-individualistic, secular, post-Christian culture, for me as a pastor to come along and say, hey, look, while you're sipping your great coffee and being cool in our fantastic restaurants in our beautiful city, you're all disciples, you're all apprentices, that would be really strange because we believe in our culture we're progressive, we're inclusive, we're diverse, we're enlightened. We don't need to follow anybody. I'm just going to follow what I think I need to follow. But we're all following something. The question is not if, it's what. We're slowly becoming something. So whether you're a mom or a dad, brother, sister, friend, employer, employee, doesn't matter, students, doesn't matter what age, starts very, very little, then we're all following something and we're all becoming something. The question is, what is it that we're becoming? Who is it we're becoming? Because we will become that which we follow. Even the most individualistic person in our culture follows someone or something. I have a bit of a strange dream, and I'm not going to look at my wife because every time I mention it, I get the beautiful eye roll that I have grown very used to over 30 years of knowing my amazing wife. Um, the eye roll begins when I talk about something called van life. How many of you know what van life is? Hashtag van life. Okay. So, uh, boy, do we need to talk. I, I, those people I do follow on Instagram, a lot of them are people who live in the back of a van. Okay, so let me just... Let me just explain what I'm talking about. There was this phenomenon that started, I would imagine, many, many, many years ago with the gypsies, that you'd live in like a trailer, and that would be, that would be fine. But now, what it's morphed into is that, especially young adults, millennials love this, is they buy an, a transit van, and they start off old, but now these transit vans end up being amazing Mercedes vans, and then they convert the back of them into these beautiful, like, deluxe um, living spaces, and then they, well, they make us believe then that they go and live in the back of this van. They're all very beautiful as well, coincidentally. You know, like they're really good-looking people who happen to live in the back of the van. You go, really? I don't think you'd look like that if you lived in 150 square foot the whole time of your life. But then they go, travel the world. Hashtag wonderlust. You know, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to go and live at the back of my van. Look how beautiful it is. You open the back doors and there's this vista of ocean and, and they're usually posing and doing it. And you're like, oh, that looks amazing. And it's all about being individual. It's all about being, follow what your dream is. Follow your belief. Follow your feelings. Just follow the open road. Let's see where it takes you. Well, eventually you're going to hit the ocean and, you know, just keep driving. Um, but... It fascinates me. I, I like the idea of just converting to the back of a van, that kind of, the, the, everything else, not so much. I'm pretty sure that they're booking into nice hotels in between taking all the photographs. That's just me being cynical. But see, the thing is, is that our culture is all about being individualistic. But the irony is, is each of them are following one another, being individualistic. Well, I'm such an individual, I'm following my heart, but I'm also going to follow this person who's following their heart. I'm going to follow this person who's following their heart, and we'll just follow one another all around. Then they get groups and meetings together, because we're not wired to be in isolation. This is what worries me a bit about COVID. We're not wired to be, as, as we've just heard, like physically and socially distanced. We're all following something. We're all 
put in our trust in something or someone to bring us a good life. So then I've taught you about rabbis in ancient history, but then there was another whole other level of rabbi. And these rabbis were like the Jedi masters. They were like the ultimate Jedi. There was like one or two at any one time. And they were said to have Semecha, which is authority. They believed that these individuals, this one or two in their society, were so close to God that they could reinterpret the Old Testament. And that's not something that the ancient Jews nor the modern Jews like, the idea of new interpretation. But if you were a Semecha, you could interpret the Old Testament. You were also said to have performed a couple of miracles and also confirmed by two other Semechas. This authority was incredibly powerful. If you were taken on by a Semecha, then really, there is really no equivalent to the... That would be like saying somebody like, I'm trying to think in modern vernacular, maybe... Warren Buffett saying, come spend 24 hours, seven days a week with me, and I will teach you everything I know. I will teach you everything I know. There would be, that, that's as close as I can get. Or Bill Gates, somebody whose society would look upon as being the richest, the best, the most wealthy. Come live with me. That's a Semecha. And then we have Jesus. Jesus, like a Semecha, was said to possess authority. Do you remember that? He speaks like one who has authority. At 12 years old, he was in the temple teaching other rabbis, and they were amazed at his authority and his knowledge. He had new insights into the Old Testament. He said, you have heard it said, but I tell you, Jesus the Semecha, the Semecha of Semechas. People were amazed at his authority. He does miracles. And he'd been confirmed by John the Baptist that many saw as another Semecha. And God himself, verbally, as he was baptized, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus walking as rabbi, which gives some understanding as to why a bunch of blue-collar but smart five books of the Bible having learned, but cut off at 10 years old, this group of men fishing, Jesus comes to them and says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were called fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Look at their response. Immediately, they dropped their nets left the net and followed him. This group of fishermen, see what we do is we do what C.S. Lewis says, and I've quoted this many times because it is so true in our culture. We have chronological snobbery. We believe people who lived 1,000, 2,000 years ago were just dim, gullible, thick. Okay, well, first of all, look at the Egyptians. Like, like engineers can now today still not work out mathematically how they built what they built. And they were many thousands of years ago. But we look back at this group of men and go, well, they're bound to because they're gullible. Jesus comes along, shuffling along in his sandals. I'm just being cynical to prove my point. Hey, guys, come follow me. And they drop their nets and follow him. Well, they're bound to. No, this is Jesus the Semecha. This is a chance of a lifetime for these men. These men who've been rejected. Jesus didn't go to the elite of the elite and the best and the best. He went to the people who had been rejected. He went to plan, not even plan B. He went to plan C. Come follow me. Come be my apprentice. And in Mark 3 verse 14, he said, He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so they might be with him 
and he, the, and he might send them out to preach. In other words, be with me and do what I do. Come be with me, become like me, go do what I do. See, Jesus, the Semecha of Semechas, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the teacher upon teacher, the ultimate, the beautiful. Come spend time in my shadow. And the reason that rabbis chose their apprentices is because they believed wholeheartedly that those that they chose were capable and able and had the ability to become like them. So friends, those of you who are Christians this morning, Jesus looked into your life and what did he say? You didn't choose me. I chose you to be my apprentice. I chose you to come follow me. Why? Because I believe you have the ability. How do I know you have the ability? Because I've given you the Holy Spirit. You have me in you. Come follow me. Be my apprentices. Do what I do. Be who I am. Come live alongside me. I believe in you. So why do I give you all this background? Because it has to, Christianity has to affect our lifestyle. Christianity, as these apprentices followed their rabbis, they didn't go just to spend a distance and maybe just once a week, maybe every other week, go and spend time with him. This was a wholehearted, total, 100% commitment. They wanted to breathe the same air that their rabbi, their Semecha, breathed. They wanted to become like him. They wanted to practice his routines, do what he did, follow his habits, become like him. And as our series title is, be hidden in him. See, Christianity doesn't come with an offer of come join a club. Christianity does not come with an offer of just come have a, an activity, something that will give you a crutch when you need it. And, and, and all those things are good and that's fine. But if it only stops there, then we are missing out on the whole reason that Jesus came to die on the cross, to allow us access to God through his sinless death. So that we could be connected with God, so we can become his apprentices. That's why Jesus says, come follow me, pick up your cross, follow me, become like me. Why is this so important for us in this series? Because it's in that moment, as we make a commitment to follow Jesus, not just add Jesus to all the activities of our day, but where we follow him, Excuse me. That's just not, that wasn't any sickness. (coughs) It's just water. (coughs) Oh gosh. Things that we used to be able to do, hey? It's in that moment where transformation happens. It's in that moment, instantly, when we come to know Jesus, that we are instantly changed to become able to be like him. It's called sanctification. There's this instant change. The old is gone. The new has come. That which we struggle with, the shame and the sin and the guilt that separates us from God is done away with by Jesus' blood. That happens in an instant. It's called conversion. And then there's a process of change that happens from that. So there's present sanctification and ongoing sanctification, ultimately to become like Jesus in heaven. It happens in a second. But that day-to-day, that lifestyle, is where true transformation of habits, practices, thoughts, backgrounds, all change. See, Christianity, somewhere along the line, maybe in the name change, 
has become an activity, a backdrop. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, does being a follower of Jesus to you, does it mean that it, you prioritize everything you do through that lens of being a follower of Jesus? Now, I can't overemphasize what I mean by everything. Everything. Think about that young man following around the Semica. Everything they did was oriented towards this Semica. The Semica went that way, they followed. If I'm going to do this, what would the Semica do? How would the Semica think? How would the Semica feel? What would he say? And ladies, it is no different because we know through Jesus, it's all the same. We're all apprentices through him. So even though ancient Israel focuses on boys, there is no focus on guys and girls here. This invite is for everybody who will receive it. Come follow the Semica. So when I say everything, I mean everything. And I find it very challenging as somebody who likes to be in control. But I'm talking about your daily routines, your daily habits, your daily practices. Are they all oriented towards what would the Semica do? Our weekly priorities, how we parent, how we run businesses, how we study, how we uh, conduct our relationships, how we spend our money, what we watch, what we think, what we listen to, what we read. Everything through the lens of being a follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, your hours, days, weeks, all arranged around following him. And why is this exciting? Because it results in the true good life. Not the good life as dictated by the other rabbis or shepherds, as we've said in Psalm 23, but the true good life from the designer, that which we're all wired. And if you're struggling with the idea of biblical Christianity or theology, all you need to do is look at what is common across humanity and see what everyone is striving towards. We strive towards the same thing, freedom, peace, joy, uh, prosperity in every sense of the word. That's what we're all looking for. We're looking for fulfillment and purpose and dedication, this, this sense that life is going to be okay, that future is going to be okay. We want that. We're all the same, but we're all choosing different rabbis to follow to get there. Then in steps the Semecha of Semechas, Jesus, the Lord of Lords. He says, come, follow me. So when we think about transformation, we all want to change. We all want to change. There's billion-dollar industries based on change. You know, you think about the self-help section of chapters or indigo as it's called now, I suppose. Think about the, the whole marketing push behind staying younger for longer. The marketing push behind fitness and abs. I let go of that a long time ago. <laughs> the, the push towards change and trans- transformation stories. Fascinating. I used to be this way, now I am that way. Look at me being super poor against a car that didn't work and look at me now leaning up against a rental Lamborghini in front of the house that I just stopped in front of to make you think that I'm really successful. And we go, I want to do what they did. Let me become your apprentice. And just like the emperor in Star Wars, they pull their hood up and they go, "Mm." okay, and they follow. and, And it's actually just ends exactly how the Bible says. Empty. Jesus says, come follow me, and I will change you. I will transform you. So for those of you listening online, for those in the room who are constantly struggling with the same old, same old, things that you have wrestled with, 
habits, thoughts, paradigms, issues, family stuff, whatever it might be, anything that you would love to see have changed, let me assure you that the only way that you're ever going to see true transformation is through Jesus Christ, not following a rabbi or a Semica in our world who is filled with empty practices. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So if I'm offering you transformation, and I'm offering you through Jesus saying, you can be different. And the hope of our city, by the way, is in the hands of transformation. We live in a desperately broken world that is constantly showing itself through the media that we probably watch too much. And we say we need change, we need reform, we need better politics, we need to stop this, put that down, don't even think about that, don't go there, don't, don't act this way, just do, do, do. So those of you who are racist, stop being racist. Oh, if only you'd said so earlier. That's easy, right? No, because there are ingrained issues, sin, hatred, ingrained, that you can't just suddenly stop. What we need is a heart change. What we need is a change, a transformation from the in out, which is why I love church so much, because what we have is an eclectic group of different people. And we're all made common by the needs that we have for transformation and recognizing that the only place we're going to find it is in Jesus Christ, not by our own work, not by our own decision, not by our own self-will that ultimately seems to dissipate. And then we feel sin and shame all over again because now we've failed at that as well as the original sin. So Jesus comes and he says, if you truly want to experience change, you need to do what I do. And this is the back end of the Sermon on the Mount. And so he's, he's referring uh, to the sermon, sorry, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And so he's referring to the Sermon on the Mount and he points out practices. He says, you need to do these practices. And he goes on at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock or a wise woman who builds their life upon solid foundation. Practice. We need to do these practices. Or in other translations, it says works. So here's the danger. Is that we look at everything that Jesus did, and then by our own hard work, we try and do those things and fail. A great experience well, let me, let me say it this way. If you want to experience all that Jesus offers in life, then we have to adopt his lifestyle, his practices. That's what the scriptures were saying. But if we're not careful, we can look at this command in a very legalistic way. So how many of you remember these bracelets? Remember this? This must be, I don't know, how many years ago? 25? 25 years? 30 years maybe? I don't know if any of you still have a What Would Jesus Do bracelet. Anyone? Yes? No? Okay. I, no, nobody at all. All right. What would Jesus do? So you wore this bracelet and the idea was, and it's a good idea, that in the, whatever situation you're in, you'd kind of glance at your bracelet and go, oh yeah, what would Jesus do? And then you would do what Jesus would do. And that's a great idea. Apart from, Jesus was very much removed from 20, 
20 Kelowna. What would Jesus do as a realtor, Terry? I don't know, because he wasn't a realtor. What would he do as a you know, 21st century mum? What would he do as a self-employed or business owner? What would he do as a teacher? What would he do as a student at Kelowna Christian School? It's very difficult to apply practically all these little intricacies of what life actually brings. And yet Jesus says, you need to practice, you need to work, you need to do some things. You need to adopt my lifestyle, come follow me, be an apprentice. So what does that look like? How do we actually do that without it just becoming a list of things to do, without it actually resulting in life transformation? That is what we're looking at over the next 12 weeks. So all that I've just said is basically the introduction for the next 12 weeks. We're going to look at these practices, these practices that Jesus refers to. What was it? What were the things that Jesus did that actually resulted in transformation and life change? But not just on a practical, I should do this or should not do this. I'm talking about it just emerging that being like Jesus is so transformational. It emerges out of your life so you naturally start responding and thinking and acting and speaking like your rabbi, Jesus. So it's not this kind of rote, learnt, I have to do this and this. It's actually, I'm going to follow these practices and then through the Holy Spirit, my life is going to change. And there's going to be transformation. Because as I look at our culture, as I look at our city, as I look at the West especially, is in desperate need of transformation. And these practices that we're going to study as we look to being hidden in Christ, are actually going to bring transformation to your and my life. And we're going to do it together. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But as we do that, then you get transformed. And that starts affecting our city and our culture and our life. So practices like, like the, the power of habit. We're going to look at habits next week. We're going to look at, Sarah's actually going to share with us in a couple of weeks' time about being transformed through meditation and and scripture. We're going to look at rest and Sabbath and and hurry. We're going to look at silence and solitude. These are ancient practices that Jesus did that many people have done since, very biblically and very theologically, that actually result in life transformation. So rather than me coming to the end of a sermon and go, right guys, go do better, and you go, how? How? These practices are where we start. We're going to look at hospitality. We're going to look at fasting and prayer. We're going to look at how to live simply and generously. I'm not going to tell you when that one is because lots of people go, well, that's going to be about giving. So I'm a bit busy on that weekend. Um, But simplicity and generosity. How do we live in such a way where we anchor ourselves into God on a daily habitual way so that when you wake up in the morning, your mind naturally goes towards the divine? It is possible. It is possible. So when you have a quiet moment in the day, and maybe you just sat in traffic, and you just got a moment that your mind naturally goes towards speaking to God, and you feel the presence of him in your car, or in your bedroom, or in your study room, or in your workplace, that wherever you go, you can be in the presence of God. It starts with these practices. It's not just a belief system. It's a It's a life change. What's really interesting about the Sermon on the Mount is the vast majority of references to you is actually plural, together. And what COVID has done 
is one of the one of the fallouts is it's made us isolate. And so even now we've got online church, but in many ways online church is a bit of an oxymoron. Because you if you're living in Kelowna, you can't do church in Texas. You can listen to somebody far better than me, I'm sure, preach. I mean, you can, you can access some of the best sermons now in the world. You, could, you can be doing it habitually and regularly on a, on a weekly basis. You could even start mentally, and I, I warn you against this, going, that's my church in Oklahoma, in Minneapolis, somewhere else in the world, Australia. No, it's not. No, it's not your church. It's a great place to listen to podcasts and sermons and worship. Love that. Do that. That is not your church. Your church is local. And if you are part of the South family, Willapart Church family, you belong here. Why is that? Because Jesus said exactly the same thing. In Acts 17, uh, that, uh, there's, this, there's this reference towards us all being placed at this place for such a time as this. It says, should inhabit the whole earth. And he did, he determined the times for them and the exact places where they should live. So we should inhabit the whole earth. And then he determined when and where. So if you live in Kelowna, you should be going to church in Kelowna. Why? Because we've been called to seek other disciples in our place. Our city needs you engaged in your local church, even though it might look different and feel different and sound different. It might be clunkier and whatever it might be, but either you come on a Sunday, and by the way, you need to book in early, midday, because we're, we're getting, we're getting like fill up. And, and please don't think, oh, well, there's no point, because if everybody went, well, there's no point, then nobody would. And so please just try midday today or get online Start connecting with one another. You can meet somebody socially, oh, sorry, physically distanced from them and have coffee and talk about Jesus. You can commit to that. You start looking for ways to be the church. Your church is not in another city. Your church is here. And I say that passionately because that is the hope of our city. That we go and make disciples. Taking this transformation. Taking this joy, taking Jesus, that you would then become, listen, I say this reverently, you become the Semica, the ambassador, the messenger, the ministers of reconciliation. These are all words from the New Testament that you and I go into our city that so desperately needs truth, and we then go make disciples that people would look to us and put posters of you on their walls. No, that people would look to you and go, Take me with you. Take me with you. That starts with these practices. So this week, this week, I want you to do a little bit of homework. So each week, together, as a church, in community, the use, the all together, we're going to practice some stuff. This week, we're going to start really, really simply. I want you to spend some time answering this question, maybe as a family, but certainly as individuals. What or who are you following? Look at your habits. What do you naturally do? Where do you naturally go? What do you naturally watch? What are your habits on a daily basis? Is it surrounding one of these? Or one of these? Or the computer in some way? What is your habit? What are you becoming? Who are you following? 
Are you following a YouTuber all the time? What are you following? Just, just do a bit of self-reflection. And then think, who are you becoming? What is it that it's actually training you to be? And not just as a job, but as a person, transformationally. And then, really simply, this is why it's so beautiful. Each day this week, just slow down and bring your attention to Jesus. If you're a Christian, then you have the Spirit of God living in you. And you can sit, unplug, literally some of you perhaps, switch off, quiet yourself, place your attention upon some scripture. I've been encouraging you to memorize Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. You just think and you just pray. And if any of you are struggling with the idea of that being some kind of dodgy, ancient mysticism, you need to read your Bible more, (laughs) frankly. This is meditating on the word of God, which is what David writes about all the time. You meditate on him and just spend those few minutes bringing your attention to Jesus. It's called abiding. And it can start this week doing just that. You might be just in the middle of work and the Holy Spirit brings you to his attention. And you just stop and go, Lord, thank you. And you just pause. Don't close your eyes if you're driving. It's never good. Something will really bring you to attention if you do that. But just slow down. Bring your attention to Jesus and abide and abide. You can do that this week. You can do that this afternoon. You can do that certainly every day. And then next week, let's start jumping into the practical aspects of what this looks like. So I'm going to pray for you. And and then what I'm going to do, and you can carry on watching if you like. I'm not going to speak any longer. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you some of the resources that I've read over the last probably 10 weeks, knowing that we're coming to this, some books that I recommend that you get. Uh, and I know that you may not be able to write them all down quick enough, but you, if, you've, if you go online, you can watch the message online and get all the, you can just pause, right? Pause, right? So that's what I'm going to be doing now. But, uh, so it's not going to be preaching. I'm just going to share a couple of resources for you because I know that would be helpful for some of those of you who love to read and to study. So we're going to get into that. But I'm going to pray that this week, that the Holy Spirit will draw you to his attention, that we will endeavor, endeavor to be apprentices of the King of Kings. What a beautiful invite. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we first of all want to thank you for sending your Son. Thank you, Jesus, that you willingly came, fully God, Holy man, that even at a young age, Lord, you were astounding others with the authority that you had at 12. And Lord, I'm thankful that just like that group of that motley crew of fishermen and tax collectors and sinners, Lord, that you called to be apprentices, that God, that we can stand in that group and hear your call. And so, Lord, I pray for those in the room or online, Lord, that have never responded to your call, that, Father, that they would do that first and foremost. They would say, yes, Jesus, I recognize you as my Lord. I follow you. Forgive me for following after other rabbis. Thank you, Jesus, that that is possible through your sacrifice on the cross. And, Lord, I pray for church family. Lord, I pray 
that there will be engagement this week as, as we and Willow Park Church stand together in seeking to be apprentices of you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for sweet moments. That, Lord, they may just start as a few seconds, but God, I pray over the next 12 weeks that those moments that we spend in your presence will get longer and longer and longer. Thank you, Jesus, that you chose us. I don't even know what plan I am, Lord. I don't feel like plan C a lot of the time. Just way down, Father. I'm thankful that even while I was a sinner, you died for me. You chose me. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We want to follow you. And thank you, Lord, that you give us the power and the enabling to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So for those of you who are going to stop, love you, and, uh, and come next week at midday today, you can start registering. And please, if you uh, want to give to our church, then you can do so right now. And there may be things appearing in the chat down here somewhere, links that you can use. And, uh, and please register for next week where we talk about habit. So some resources that I recommend to you. Now, first of all, let me just say this. Whenever uh, I talk about resources, um, what I, oftentimes I would say a lot of these writers I, I'm very, very happy with, very good with. But there's always going to be some things that I may not completely resonate with. And, but if that was the case, then you know, we would never read anything and never, never do anything. Now, if somebody is wildly off, then I'm talk- and there are many Christians who are wildly off track, then I, I would never recommend them to you. But there are some times when there are Christians, authors who are just good, solid, Christian, Jesus-loving people who might be on a slightly different team, but they're not playing a different sport. That makes sense to use an analogy that I understand, even if you don't. So Dallas Willard, he he is an excellent writer. He does some brilliant writing on discipleship. You'll hear a lot of words like apprenticeship, some illustrations. I'll refer to Dallas Willard. It's not an easy read, but an excellent, excellent read. If you want to tackle that, then go for it. Richard Foster, The Celebration of Discipline, uh, a classic. Again, some people being very critical, especially around the idea of meditation. And, but it's biblical meditation. So, you know, read this. You take what you believe the Lord is showing you and you reject that, which you don't believe he isn't. And, but there's just some excellent chapters in this book as well. Um, John Ortberg, who was an apprentice, if you like, of Dallas Willard. This is an excellent book, Soul Keeping. Um, I've certainly dipped into this quite a lot, and Dr. Henry Cloud as well. Um, highly recommend reading this book. And this is a really interesting book by an Australian pastor called Mark Sayers. He, um, he has a brilliant prophetic teaching mind that has amazing insight into the culture that we live in today, this post-Christian, secular, hyper-individualistic culture. He is a brilliant man, but rooted in beautiful love for Jesus and prayer, and a very, very good pastor, and listen to some of his sermons as well. But he, re- he wrote two books, Disappearing Church and then Reappearing Church, which is encouraging. Uh, this is his more recent work, about how we can grow in Christ. It's an excellent book as well. This is a really interesting book, Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon. Parents, I highly recommend you read this book because it talks specifically about the impact, especially that the digital age is having upon our culture. And you need to be informed about that um, because 
let me tell you, that thing in their hand is filled with rabbis, semikas, and shepherds that you don't want them following. So be enlightened. Uh, this book, I'd actually love to preach one day around this whole topic. Maybe it would be a midweek type thing. Um, John Mark Comer, a pastor from Portland. What John Mark Comer has done unapologetically is he takes Mark Sayers, Dallas Willard, uh, Richard Foster, and some other good writers on spiritual disciplines and puts it in in a very, very readable format. I'm not saying this because, wow, if he can do it, I can do it. But our 15-year-old son just read this, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's funny. It's very, very, very good. So when we come to talk about Sabbath and hurry, that will be a book that I will refer to. It's, it's fantastic. I think I actually recommended it to Janet as well a few weeks ago. So um, it's not quite as pink. I think it's red. But not that that matters. I'm not against pink books. If you want to carry a pink book around, John, could see you with a pink book. Um, and then this one, it's not like I ra- this one just came to my mind this morning. This was actually a book that I recommended a few years ago. Um, and you are what you love. It's a very, it's a good read. It's not an easy read, but it really jumps into how we become what we do. Because you hear that a lot. You aren't what you do. Actually, yes, you are. You are absolutely, you are what you do. Because what you do changes you. So uh, it's a really, really good book. Okay, that's it. I hopefully that some of those things will be helpful. And. Uh...